You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Monday. That means it is Mental Health Monday here on The Coffee Hour. Looking forward to talking with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. It is time for Mental Health Monday with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. We are continuing our conversation on generativity. Um, I'll never say that word correctly, but I'll keep trying. Uh, Generativity is our topic, and I think we're looking at roadblocks today. Is that right? We are looking at roadblocks today. Yeah, we talked about so far definition of generativity. We talked about a... um, Happy Monday. Monday. (laughs) Um, We talked about the benefits of generativity and ways to build generativity in the last couple episodes. In this episode, we're going to talk about the things that kind of get in the way, barriers, if you will, those roadblocks to generativity, and maybe how we can remove some of them. We wanted to get to some of the tools we have for generativity, especially that scripture outlines for us, if you will. Um, And so let's start with some common roadblocks, then we'll go to removing those roadblocks, and then we'll go into that scripture piece. So some of the most common roadblocks to generativity are uh, isolation or lack of depth in relationship. If you remember from last episode, we talked about how if we want to build generativity, we want to build our ability to be concerned with the future generations and to make some meaning and impact that lasts in this world that does pass away um, and is directed toward eternity, if you will, uh, then we need some depth of relationship. And that's one way we can get to generativity is by seeking more depth in our relationship. And so when someone asks us about the weather, uh, we can ask them about their family or or um, how they felt about COVID or what has been happening uh, in their lives that has given them joy lately. Kind of taking some questions that are possibly a little awkward to ask at times when we haven't had that depth in relationship and taking a little bit of risk. It doesn't have to be huge, just toes in the water, if you will, at a time. And then maybe putting the arch of our foot in the water. And then the next time we put the heel in the water, it's it's baby steps. And we've talked on Mental Health Mondays before about the building blocks of relationship being those uh, bids for connection, reaching out. Some people will accept that depth. Sometimes people say, no, thank you. And then we know those aren't our people that we're going to find that depth from. We can not give up on them, but we can, we don't have to take the risk time and time again to someone who's not responding. You know, we can find another person to do that. Thankfully, the body of Christ is large and so is this world. And so there's always more relationships that we can discover. And I think that's part of God's design for us. So isolation does get in the way. Uh, When we are in grief, that is a time where we might want to isolate ourselves a little bit more uh, to turtle in, if you will, because we're more aware that life is hard when loss comes into our life. Sometimes when we are having mental health struggles or when we have been through a relationship breakup, those kind of losses also are times we want to isolate. When we are doing that for longer than six weeks, six months, one year, uh, when we are not 
getting the connection that we need with God and other people, then it's time to consider whether we need some help, right? And that's okay. We all need help in different ways at different times. Um, So just kind of being aware of our own, where we're at, at a baseline, you know, what kind of connection do we need? What kind of connection do we usually get? And where are we at currently? That can give us a good idea for whether we need to step out and ask for help because isolation has become a thing for us. Another roadblock to generativity is being self-centered rather than Christ-centered and other-centered. And those are all a little bit different. Uh, There's certainly overlap. I don't want to oversimplify this concept, but at the same time, I think that so often our world points us toward being other-centered. And for us as Christians, we understand that instead, Scripture encourages us to be Christ-centered so that that pours out into other people. If I only try to be other-centered, I will be A, super disappointed and I won't be able to take those risks, right? I won't be Mm -hmm. able to continue putting my foot in that pond of relationship. Um, And I also will be exhausted. And this happens in ministry all the time, where we try to give and give and give, but we're not being poured into by Christ. We're not focused in that way toward him. We might be reading his word, but we're maybe something has happened where we're not receiving it from ourselves. Uh, And And that's, there's no shame in that. This is part of the human experience of being a sinner and a saint at the same time. Uh, But getting that grounding back toward, hey, Christ, I need you. I really, really need you. And seeking him first and seeking his filling inside of us through the Holy Spirit, getting out there and getting the sacrament for ourselves. Uh, having someone else give it to us. Uh, I That was one thing I missed about COVID, I think, was having the sacrament handed to me because we all take it at the same time. I think we've talked about this on Coffee Hour a little bit. And you can hear in our congregation the pop when everybody's uh, little individual serving cup opens. Uh, but I had missed like having my pastor hand it to me and like looking me in the eye and just having that sense of connection in that. And I didn't realize I missed it because it it just is what it is, right? We're all just walking through COVID. And I realized I missed it because my 10-year-old son actually took my little cup from me and opened it one day and then insisted on putting the bread in my mouth. And I about started crying in the middle of my communion experience. That connection from another person is so vital. And with COVID, we can feel disconnected. And instead of being like, I need to go find people all the time, sometimes we need to dial back and say, I need to find Christ. I need to find some ways to not only just knowledge cognitively know that I'm connected in Christ because I read a passage, but also feel that sense of connection in Christ. And that's a little different for all of us, but the sacraments are certainly a good place to start, if you will. So before I keep going, Andy and Sarah, any questions or thoughts on isolation, connection, depth of relationship, or Christ-centeredness and those roadblocks to generativity? When you're talking about being Christ-centered, I think that was resonating with me. I think especially now, um, it's so easy when we're all separated still after a year Mm -hmm. to 
get some blinders on that we're maybe not used to um, and be so focused on ourselves and and our getting through that we kind of miss the mark on the rest of that. But um, being able to come back to our congregations over the last hopefully over the last several weeks or, or months and coming up to Easter, this Easter that we've been looking forward to for a year because we, we weren't <laughs> together, having that kind of refocus happening on um, on our, our faith and our walk together as a community in Christ, I think is that that is resonating uh, very strongly with me right now. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. We are in a different space and we can let all of this happen organically that's wonderful. A lot of this is God's work and it will happen. But I think we also can benefit from engaging intentionally. And that's what we're talking about today in the roadblocks is engaging in what we need intentionally. Andy, I think you might have had a question. Yeah. And I think you, you, I think you just answered it. Um, (laughs) Isolation. No, no, that's good. Um, I, I think sometimes when we think of the word isolation, especially after this past year, um, (laughs) we think, uh, we think of it Purely in the physical sense, like I'm isolated, I can't be around anyone else, so I can't have deep, you know, uh, meaningful conversations, no depth in relationship. But I, I, I guess my question is, by isolation, can we also mean that you're having everyday conversations with the people around you that are closest to you, but there isn't, um, but it's still missing some depth, I guess yeah. is the question. Yeah, I think that's really true. Sometimes we think going to the grocery store is going to, you know, end our isolation. <laughs> and and while that's true, there is uh, that absence of presence that our body is longing for that we do simply just need to be surrounded by people for some of our brain mechanisms to turn on and, and sense the presence of other people in our lives. That's definitely one step. However, that the depth comes, and that is different than um, simple uh, connection. Actually, I go into this in my book, Finding Hope, that comes out in April, about the difference between connection and then community, because a lot of times we overlap uh, those things, and we overlap relationship and connection too, when there is some distinction in what we're going for. And so connection is certainly an answer to isolation, but depth is an answer to relationship. If we want to move past just simple connection into the depth of relationship. So that's a good question. There is some distinction there. Hmm, So some of the other roadblocks um, include, uh, monotony with no sense of purpose. And I'll admit uh, my seven Enneagram self with my eight wing (laughs) really loves events. Uh, And again, with COVID, uh, a lot of events were much, much different. And so there's plenty of ways that we were creative to uh, meet that need for ourselves, if you will. Uh, but, But when it starts to feel extremely monotonous. And then we lack that sense of purpose instead of monotony with a sense of purpose, then that's where it interrupts generativity because I start to get a little bit lost in the monotony. I feel uh, weighed down. There's a heaviness to the daily life tasks that are before me. Uh, and this is different. I think it's in between um our experiences of life with purpose and maybe a sense of depression where I feel uh, lower motivation and things like that. There's, it's like a spectrum 
So we can look for this, uh, I think, lack of purpose, our, our, the absence of our sense of purpose a little bit when we go about our tasks. And so this can be really met with a sense of mindfulness, if you will, where there is a purpose to brushing our teeth or having our kids brush their teeth. There is a purpose in God's kingdom to uh, making sure that my family's fed. There is a purpose to getting out of bed and going to work and serving my neighbor in whatever vocation that I'm in. Um, but sometimes we need to engage with that sense of purpose again. We need to be intentional about seeing it or talking about it with other people around us because otherwise the the monotony sets in. And yes, life is very repetitive, uh, but there is so much joy to be had in the very regular moments of life because we know that they're meaningful to God. The way that this intersects with generativity is that, uh, again, that feeling of being weighed down by it gets in the way of being able to look around us and see what people need. You know, we just can't. Mm -hmm. When we're carrying around <laughs> 20 pound bricks in each hand, it's a little harder to serve. And so <laughs> getting back to that sense of purpose is something that's really helpful. I'm reading a book right now. It's not Lutheran, but it does uh, have uh, like an Anglican vantage point, if you will, which is kind of helpful because there's infant baptism and things like that, that overlap, um, called the liturgy of the ordinary that we're doing for one of our Bible studies at church. And it's been really helpful because it goes through some of those monotonous things and shows you what God, uh, has brought through them sometimes in our lives. And it's pretty cool. So I would recommend that resource to people. Um, and then, the other thing that sets in is nostalgia. So nostalgia <laughs> is a problem for generativity because we're not seeing truth. Nostalgia mm -hmm. at its core is a lack of the full truth where it's a half truth reality. Um, I think I've said this on Coffee Hour before, uh, but we would say that uh, nostalgia is uh, no one's nostalgic for the 1950s who is a person of color right? That's mm -hmm. not a reality for them because we see half truths. So we can talk about nostalgia in just a little bit when we come back from the break. Um, and I bet you guys might have some questions about nostalgia too. I think the most nostalgic statement of 2020 was, I miss precedented times. <laughs> Those seem so good. So good. <laughs> we have more to talk about here on Mental Health Monday. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. We're talking with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman on roadblocks to generativity. Uh, we, we've covered a, a few roadblocks. Do we have any more roadblocks before we talk about what to do with those roadblocks? 
We don't. No, I just wanted to highlight, I said we'd go back to nostalgia real fast. And I just wanted to define nostalgia is essentially when we look back at the past without seeing the whole thing, we see a pretty version of it. And so nostalgia, I think, and generativity are kind of obvious how they work together. Um, We won't need to change the world for the generations to come if we think it was really great, or if we're trying to get back to something that's not real. Um, And so just know that nostalgia can be met um, and removed, if you will, moving to that next section. If we take those pretty feelings that we have and the the pretty idea we have of the past, uh, say the time before COVID, if you will, mm-hmm. and meet the ideas that we had of how great it was with also some of the things that were hard and just get honest about that uh, and be honest about it with one another, but certainly at least ourselves. And so, um, yeah, we can definitely move on to the removing the roadblocks of generativity. And um, I think one of the main ones is just confession. (laughs) It always seems so basic when I say things like confession or read the Bible. these really are though the places where God has promised to meet us and that we know uh, we can slough off, if you will, some of the things that are those weights that are burdening us. And so I think in our confession, it's pretty cool that we um, say, I, I need forgiveness for the things that I do and the things I don't do because that is a huge place where generativity meets us. There are plenty of ways that we can change the world, but plenty of ways that we don't. And we don't go out there and do something about justice or do something that we uh, God is trying to get our attention on. But we also don't have to be defined by those things that we don't do so that we can get up and go do them <laughs> at some point, you know, or do the other thing that God has called us toward. Um, and it's also one of our greatest tools against self-centeredness and getting to that Christ-centeredness. Confession will just do its work in pointing us toward Christ um, and bringing that grace into our lives. Yeah. Did you guys have any questions about confession and roadblocks to generativity? I have one resource to, to point out. Um, awesome. For families with, well, really families of all sizes, but particularly families with children, uh, Concordia Publishing House has My First Hymnal. And in the front of My First Hymnal, there are a couple of orders of service. And one of them is confession and forgiveness for families, which is, I think, uh, if you're looking for a simple way to learn how to practice that as a family, how to practice confession Mm -hmm. as a family, it's a, a great resource for that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we do that thing where we accidentally think that confession's for church and the mm-hmm. church building or the worship service. Um, and there's so much joy to be had in it, just us and God before God in our living room, on our couch, <laughs> or mm-hmm. in our bedroom before we go to sleep. Um, and then certainly around our family dinner tables and certainly around our family time together and when we gather. That's really awesome. I love that, Andy. So then another way that we can remove these roadblocks are with um, reflecting on the forgiveness. Then, so one thing we do is we confess and we hear back from God. Sometimes we can be well served by centering ourselves on God's response, right? It's that age old kind of thing where we forget to listen. <laughs> like we, we tell our stuff to God um, or we communicate with God what we need, but how much time do we send? 
sit in the presence of God and let him tend to our souls. And so reflecting on the forgiveness of God, again, lets that grace come in so that we can go do all the things and not all the things, but the things we've been called to instead of shutting down a little bit because the world is weighty and hard and change comes slowly. That is uh, such a precious treasure uh, to be able to do. Again, God doesn't need anything from us. He just really wants to be with us so often. And I think we forget that because we're so busy serving God that we think that he needs stuff from us. Like that's our position before God. And so start with just a moment of reflection and letting God tend to us in the midst of whatever we're going through or whatever we want to change or all of that good stuff. Um, a couple more is... Uh, finding some awe. I think that's an important one that we forget. Mm. I actually have a podcast series coming up on it mm. uh, because we are a little scared of awe, especially as Lutherans, I think, or especially as liturgical Christians in liturgical traditions, um, because part of our jam is the 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 comfort in the repetitive things that we can rely on. Um, and those are good things. And there is a lot of grace in that. And that's a place of rest. Um, and that's really important. However, there is also the other side of that, which is to be surprised. And God is nothing if not surprising as well as consistent, right? So we see the character of God. We see the fullness of God when we have both those things in our life, both his unchanging Ness and his uh, surprising, glorious holiness that is before us to be awed about. There's so many references in the Gospels, especially to people who marveled and people who um, were astonished. That is a good place to be before God. We should feel that way sometimes. And obviously we don't rest our entire faith on that, but nor do we rest our entire faith on the fact that God... Um, is unchanging in the liturgy, right? Both of those things are important. Um, and so creation is a, obviously a great place to get some awe, um, reading scripture uh, for something new. If it's a passage that you haven't uh, haven't sat down with for a while, like Daniel and the lion's den, because goodness gracious, you covered it 17 times in Sunday <laughs> school when you were growing up, uh, sit down and read it and be like, all right, God, show me something new. And it's pretty wild that he will always show us something new in a scripture story or bring something to life uh, that we knew before, but has a new meaning to us today. That's what that's part of God's word being living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Uh, so yeah, any questions about those different ways that we can use to remove some roadblocks to generativity in our life? Yeah. The the last one you're talking about finding awe, that's like one, and maybe it's a personality thing. Um, I love just like sitting and looking at the forest behind my house and thinking about, oh, God, like, made all those trees. Isn't that really cool? <laughs> or like thinking of just like those, those big picture things. But is that a personality thing? Like a, maybe creative people or people that are, are more in tune with um, the, the colors and shapes and, and those things in the world are maybe more adept at, mm. uh, at being open to looking for that awe in, in the world around them? 
Yeah, it is kind of interesting how that works. I definitely think that just as there's people who are maybe more in tune to emotions and all about their emotions, whereas there's other people who are more into reason and and the thoughts that they think, um, the same happens with this kind of unchanging nature of God with the awe business that we're talking about. The reality is that God is consistent with both. And so we both serve us really well. Mm -hmm. So yes, it is personality. And yes, we also are more well-rounded and have stronger mental health when we seek out those things that maybe are not natural to us at times. Mm -hmm. That's a really healthy place to be, to appreciate Mm -hmm. who you are as an individual and also, yeah, move out into the world and (laughs) learn and grow and all of that good stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, Andy, did you have a perspective to share? Well, I think so. I think perspective can certainly impact awe as well. I was thinking Mm. back to a few years ago, I think it was about four years ago, we were visiting some friends in Colorado who live uh, in the Denver area. And so they make it out to the mountains, Mm -hmm. um, you know, probably every month or so, or every couple of months to to just enjoy the mountains. And Mm -hmm. so that was for them a regular thing to go out Mm -hmm. to the mountains and enjoy Mm -hmm. them throughout the year and, and see them. I, on the other hand, my wife and I had, and, and son had not been in the mountains in, in years. Uh, and, uh, so we, we took a gondola up the mountain where in the town where we were staying and got up to the top of the mountain and, and just walked around and, and enjoyed the view and took in the mm-hmm. view. And for a, a couple of minutes, just literally, you know, speechless and breathtaking and, mm-hmm. and, and in tears because, we just seeing the the vastness of uh, God's creation um, and, and having that perspective, we don't usually get to see that on a daily basis. And to be able to to stand back and see that big picture, literally, like, you know, that picturesque scene in, in, in all its vastness and realize um, that our, our God created this. And and for our friends, you know, we, we felt kind of bad we, or, you know, funny because we were crying and, and uh, enjoying the moment and the, the beautiful creation. And they're like, oh, sorry, we, we see this all the time. So their perspective was different because they get to see that beauty and that creation all the time. So it wasn't mm-hmm. as overwhelming for them, whereas for us, it was very overwhelming because we don't get to see it. And maybe, you know, for Sarah, the, your backyard is new to you too. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe that That's that good. might impact uh, why that uh, is is so mm-hmm. beautiful in this time. I was just thinking yeah, that it may impact how we, how and when we find awe. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know we're almost done, but a way to connect that to those uh, roadblocks to generativity earlier is that monotony also can hold some awe. Like it's only monotony when I think we've shut down that part of ourselves that is looking for awe. Uh, People who have children especially know that there has been moments in their day that should be very, very simple and nothingness, but instead it's breathtaking to them. Uh, I think we look at our spouses occasionally and experience this as well, or a friend when we're having coffee and we're like, oh my goodness, how did I even get you as a friend? That is a place of awe that we can be when we put the Christ-centeredness in it, when we're like, wow, God, thank you for creating this part of my life. Thank you for giving me these people that we can be with. Um, And so I encourage people, especially to turn to scripture and look for those places of awe that will feed that generativity because we are looking at the wider world around us. And that's a good place to be and a good place to start. Um, And then there's some other scriptural tools that we can work on for generativity. And we can share some next time too. I want to um, share especially some stories of people in our midst, especially of Lutheranism, that have built 
generativity in their life. And, and you can see it a little bit more clearly through these stories. And so we'll interweave with those stories some of these scriptural tools that God gives us for generativity. And I think that'll be a great way to see it in our last episode on generativity next time. Very good. Very good. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere.